Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the downloadable movie chit-chat power hour, and roughly a half, that retinders old movies to see if we should have swiped right the first time round. I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you, boys? Good. Saucy. <laughs> saucy! <laughs> I'm not feeling saucy. I meant the intro was saucy. <laughs> I'm just recorded with nipple tassels. Just... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, behind the scenes, um, we just had a quick chat about which way you swipe on Tinder because it actually all came out uh, long after we were all betrothed. So, um, yeah, lovely stuff. But we're down with kids. We're down we with are. popular culture. <laughs> down with horny kids, actually. No, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Clip that. Clip that. There we go. <laughs> That's part of next week's promo. So, lovely. <laughs> Uh, what have you boys been watching this week? Okay, so I've taken in uh, a few things this week that I'd like to discuss. So uh, let me start with a cinema trip. So I went to the cinema to watch Nobody, which is a Bob Odenkirk action movie, of all oh. things. So what this film puts forward for those of us, uh, those of you who are under 35 is, what if John Wick was your dad? <laughs> for those of those who are over 35, it asks the question, what if you were John Wick? And in short, (laughs) it's an absolute hoot. It's got beautifully and brutally choreographed fight sequences, laugh out loud gags, and a great soundtrack. I mean, it's pretty much everything you'd want from a 90-minute Jerry Action B-movie. And I love Bob Odenkirk, and he he really delivers on this. I was interested to see how it was actually going to shake out, because there's always a... A danger where you have maybe someone who's more known more as a comic actor stepping into this sort of action arena, how they're going to make it believable for, you know, for a guy who basically looks like us. <laughs> and it's really good how they execute it is excellent. And it's just lots and lots of fun. Oh, I, I'm excited about that. Is that the one where the poster is him getting punched in the face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really good. I'm really excited to see that. Amazing. Yeah, I really want to see that. Nice. And then I've had a bit of a Washington family week this week. Obviously tonight's film and then two others that I took in, sort of inspired by tonight's film in different ways. So first of all, I went uh, and had a second look at Tenet, which I was a little bit lukewarm on the first time that I saw it last year. Um, And, you know, I was just in... I was just in the mood to watch a washing a member of the Washington family in a timey wimey movie. Um, so this was much more enjoyable on a second watch. And while I'm not sure it makes a hundred percent sense to anyone who isn't called Christopher Nolan, I still found myself swept up in the globe trotting espionage. That score is absolutely incredible, and the sheer ambition and intricacy of the many set pieces, plus Kenny Branner's Russian accent. I mean, wow. <laughs> Calling him Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Have you seen that viral clip of um, Tim Curry doing a Russian accent? He's like, "You going to space?" <laughs> like <laughs> for the for the uh, Command and Conquer game. Yes. We're going to space. <laughs> Big fans of Tim Curry here. Obviously, he, he laughs as well at the end of the take, doesn't he? <laughs> it's like that was the. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenneth Branagh's sort of doing that, but you've got to take him seriously because he's the big baddie in Tenet. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. but no, it, it, it was enjoyable on a second watch. I mean, I mean, the score really makes it for me. 
lot bit easier to watch at home when you've got uh, when you can have the option of flipping the closed caption on and actually understand what's going on. Oh, seriously, <laughs> that nice. was my biggest issue with it. You just couldn't understand what the fuck they were saying. No, because they're wearing masks a lot of the time as well. Yeah. <laughs> And then finally, as well, uh, we were looking for a nice, easy film to watch last Friday night, and I knew that we were going to be—I was going to be watching *Deja Vu* later in the, um, you know, the following week to record tonight. And I was like, "Oh, what am I in the mood for? You know what? I've really got a, a hankering for a Tony Scott and Denzel movie." So we we put on *Unstoppable*, which is oh. Denzel and Chris Pine trying to stop a runaway train. It's pretty much the antithesis of tonight's film because it couldn't be more straightforward, whereas this one's a little <laughs> bit more convoluted. And it's just so well executed. Like, in terms of what that movie is and how good a movie dealing with that story could be, it's like pretty much executed as perfectly as it could be for that genre. It's just incredible. Couldn't agree more. I haven't seen Unstoppable. Is that Tony Scott's last film? It is his final film, yeah. Oh, I need to watch that then. It's superb. It's on uh, Star on Disney Plus, Si. So you won't oh, have to rent nice. it. Nice. Yeah. Well worth it. 100 minutes, just breakneck action all the way through. Loads of overqualified actors just throwing themselves into it. It's, yeah, it's really, brilliant. really good. It's a brilliant movie. Um, I, we, yeah, I mean, like, keeping the... We'll have to keep the powder dry on the, the love for Denzel, but that and Tony Scott, but you can't whack that. Yeah. So, what have you been watching? For me, just like last time, I again watched a movie uh, mentioned on the last episode. Oh. So I watched watched the woman in the window after you mentioned it, Rob. Oh. Uh, it was all right. It's nowhere near yeah. as 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 bad <laughs> yeah. as the car crash that has been suggested. Yes. But I do wish uh, Joe Wright would calm his tits on the style <laughs> of of making film because. It's just a constant stream of like fancy camera moves and multi-layered sound design and complicated production design. Um, not that any of that like isn't impressive because it, it really it actually really is. It's, yes. it's you know all yes. that's really but it's just constant and it's just there all the time. And there's barely any time to like catch your breath and get a grip of what's going on because you're just being pummeled in the face by filmmaking. <laughs> 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 It's just so, there's just so much going on. I'll tell you, Netflix, if you want a quote, if you want to post a quote, Sai always comes up with the goods, seriously. It was all right. It was all right. Um, I also went to the cinema to watch uh, Quiet Place Part 2. Oh, yeah. How's that? I think you mentioned last week. Yeah, I loved it. It It's great. It's a really good continuation of the first one. It's it's pretty much just carrying on. You could watch those as a three-hour movie and you wouldn't notice the difference. You know, oh, you wouldn't notice the cut. It's really That's good. Nice. Um, Apart from Emily Blunt's roots, which my wife noticed when we went to see oh, the cinema. She yeah, said, oh, she's had her roots done. It's supposed to be yeah. the day after. <laughs> my other half mentioned that as well and said uh, her, her routine, her makeup routine and hair routine is, is on point for an apocalypse. <laughs> I'm uh, also watching because you know I haven't watched that many films because a work has been relentless this week. But uh, I've been catching up with a lot of telly, and I've been watching uh, Mayor of East Town. So yeah, finger on the pulse, like well behind that, <laughs> like really. Is behind. it? Is it good? It's really good. Yeah, it's really really good. I, I'm I we're running through it quite quick because I'm I'm heading back home to Manchester this weekend. And I desperately need to finish it before I, I get home because my dad will absolutely spill the shit out of me <laughs> as soon as I walk in the door. Like he just loves to like accidentally spoil stuff. He'll be like, 
you'll go like, oh yeah, well, watch, don't tell us anything, Daddy. You know, it's like, oh no, I, no, I won't. Oh. Have you got to that bit where so and so dies? And you're like, well, <laughs> no. So, oh, in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Just like, yeah, he just he, he loves doing stuff like that. So yeah, we need to watch <laughs> it before we get there and see me, Dad. <laughs> brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Um, but yes, it's very good. I highly recommend it. There's a lot of like, it's it's like a mix of of a bunch of other sort of mystery detect, you know, local domestic detective stories so you know there's a bit of true detective in there there's a bit of broad church actually it's, it's, it's nice. kind of an american version of broad church um which they did didn't they they did do it i never watched it, it was nick nolte in it and david tennant was in it david as well tennant wasn't he? Was in yeah, it, as him but with a, a very <laughs> that's surely a pub quiz question money for all rope that isn't it yeah, just do yeah. the exact same thing again but do it with an accent Brilliant. Yeah. And Skylar was um, yes, the Olivia Coleman character, wasn't she? Skylar from Breaking Bad. Mm. But no, this is great. And Winslow's just unbelievable in it. She's so, so good. What about you, Rob? What have you been watching? Well, um, not managed to watch too much, but I did take in um, uh, one movie, a Netflix original, actually. Um, the kids came in and told me the name of it and said, well, it's movie night, we're watching this. So I misheard them. I thought we were going to watch the fabulous life story of a young uh, Newcastle slash Spurs star with flaxen hair, Ginola Holmes. Uh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst dad joke I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, yes, we watched Enola Holmes. Uh, Hello, I I'm Enola Holmes. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm going to talk through the fourth wall through the entire length of this film. Um, sorry, that implies I didn't like it. I really liked it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. Really, really enjoyed it. The kids really enjoyed it. A little bit dark in places, but wow, wow, we were. We like that. Um, the kids watched Tremors recently. It's absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, it was good. Really liked it. Um, that uh, Millie Bobby Brown is going to be a massive superstar, isn't she? Basically, she already is, isn't she? Yeah, she is. But I mean, like, she's she's going to she's going to have a, a like a, a hugely celebrated career. Uh, Cavill was great. Um, yeah, just really enjoyed it all. Um, I wish I had something else to say, but it's been lots of this that lad Ryan, you know Ryan's toy review on YouTube. Um, I'm going to you know unbox lollipops for seven hours. Like, oh jeez, three million views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no justice, is there? His dad's like, you want another lollipop, Ryan? Gotta get that paper. <laughs> How old is he, like seven? Right, no, Ryan, uh, in the ones we watch, he's like a little toddler. Like He's got no clue what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite crazy. Um, I should anyway. start exploiting my son for financial gains, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know what I've noticed through watching um, sort of like different episodes throughout time of Ryan's toy review is that the house gets Bigger and bigger <laughs> and <Yeah>. bigger. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, the first episode was literally recorded in the back of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, uh, oh, interesting. Um, but lads, I think you know current events and, and circumstances outside of the podcast dictate that we we really need to. You know, we've worn this a few times, but I think it's time we need a new regular feature. <gasps> it, it's got to. It's got beyond a joke. To be oh, honest. this is exciting! Yeah. Um, so we've we've touched on these things, but now because it happens with such regularity, we have to make a great big deal of it. So um, this week is um, the first ever episode or incarnation of irksome gatekeeping clickbait pretentious article of the week. <laughs> 
And uh, this week we've got, what do you know, the dude who smoked Shrek because he thought it was cool, comes back uh, with the backing of the Guardian newspaper and their film section that's supposed to be highbrow to decide to take on the (laughs) hot take (laughs) of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 20 years later. Uh, Lads, did you read this? No, of course not. I didn't didn't (laughs) read it. I read the headline and was just fuming, so I just did not engage. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on? I mean, uh, who does he think he's upsetting? He's 30 years old. it, it, but it's like the thing that goes yeah, like, sorry, I said 20 a minute, 30 years old. Yeah, it, it's so, it, it was somewhat like uh, um, Newsflash, guys, uh, it's really not a good film. And you're like, yeah, no shit, we know it's not a good film. Oh, but not the point. Alan Rickman <laughs> in leather trousers, uh, Kevin Costner doing his uh, American Nottingham accent, Robin of Larksley. Um, well, I, I, there's I, just, you know, oh, God. I don't care if nostalgia tints my glasses of watching that film. Surely that's the idea. (laughs) Surely that's the idea that nostalgia should tint the glasses. We can't. We're allowed to like stuff, Guardian. This dude, whatever your name is, I do know his name. I'm determined not to say it. We're allowed to like stuff. You don't have to just show up. Are you going to show up in 20 years' time and and start slating 30 years' time? 30 years. (laughs) It sounds so obscure, doesn't it? Are you just going to start? Is this a new thing for you? We're going to pick. Pick movies from the past just to that people like to ruin. Yeah, it seems to be a shtick, doesn't it? Because yeah, yeah obviously I had the Shrek one, but then while that Robin Hood one was doing the round, someone someone highlighted a past one, which is this is like total bullshit, really. Was where he said uh, Gladiator wasn't worthy of any of the Oscars it won oh. um, on the anniversary of Gladiator's like twentieth anniversary or something, and he was like, "This isn't as good as you remember." And it's like, "Fuck off, Gladiator was like." a five-star movie if ever there was a five-star movie. Yeah. Do you know what this is going to end up in, though? This is going to end up like what we saw a thousand times over at film school. People getting looked down their nose at and bullied because they like certain movies and The Guardian told them they shouldn't. That's what this is going to end up as. Yeah, it's it's very pompous and it's very strange. Um, but again, it, it was the it was the hot topic of the day, wasn't it, on Twitter? So I tell, they're obviously enjoying the... Enjoying the notoriety of it. Yeah, and I think what those articles sort of either on purpose or in ignorance completely misrepresent is what cultural moments, particularly those two films, Gladiator and Prince of Thieves, they like swept the culture for that moment. I mean, with with Prince of Thieves, you had the Brian Adams song that was Mm. number one for like three months or something like that it was it was a whole movement around that film and yeah i've watched it since and it doesn't really hold up anymore but i enjoyed it when i was a kid of a film of of a film of that time that was like fucking blew everyone's minds didn't yeah. it what was going on the pov camera on an arrow for god a flaming yeah. arrow for god's sake that's just incredible I mean, well, but at the same time do you, think, do you think kevin reynolds now sits here and goes like oh we changed the cinema game with that you know like at the time you changed the blockbuster game definitely but like it's not he doesn't sit there thinking he's reinvented cinema with that no you know what i mean like it's ridiculous he's too busy chilling in the house uh, in the pool of the house that that film bought him, basically. And, and, and all the happiness that he gave people with that movie. Yeah, people love that film. People love that film. Let them love it. 
<sighs> it's my missus's favourite film. She's made me watch it about 15 times. <laughs> so good, isn't it? She's got a t-shirt and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love it. They do t-shirts? Um I, I'm so glad, uh, you know, and I'm sorry, lads. Um, this this is a new feature that we <laughs> we wish we didn't need, <laughs> but it firmly is. So tune in next time for um, irksome, gatekeeping, clickbait, pretentious article of the week. <laughs> yeah, it's the hatchet Can't job wait. on the hatchet job. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, it is. I like it, James. <laughs> that's that. That's the tagline. As if our feature needs a tagline. Love it. Yeah. But we've got one. Excellent. Um, so we had a question this week, but it came from one of our listeners. Oh, it did. A long-time listener. What a legend. So, yes, Rob, we had a question from long-term, uh, long-time listener, uh, LJ Human on Twitter, and he wants us, uh, he wants me to put this question to you guys. What element would a film have to have to be a must-watch for you? So it could be actor, premise, subgenre, crew member, anything. What makes a film a must-watch for you guys? Such a good question. Sai, do you have anything that springs to mind? I, I think there are sort of like many sort of creative factors which make up what I would deem a must-watch movie in terms of in terms of like the craft. So like whether it be that like a good script or a solid cast or a good director, you know, there's all those names who I would always, you know, be a must-watch for me personally. But I think as like a general one or like the one big thing defining factor for me um, would be a a crew, I guess, not necessarily a director, but a whole team of making a film to have a sense of adventure with the film they're making. So a team and a director who like shoot for the moon, that they do something do something to really get out of their comfort zone, to strive for something that hasn't really been done before. Um I mean it's kind of, it's kind of impossible to do that nowadays because you know, the gamut of cinema over the last hundred years, um, you know, it's kind of hard to do things completely original, but at least something that is pushing the envelope within like a genre. So say something like the matrix or a Jurassic park or um, more recently, like Spider-Man into the spider verse, which just completely mm. blew my tiny mind with how good that was. Cause I'd never seen anything like that. I'm sure I've mentioned it several times before. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's like the, the, the one big sort of, overarching factor which defines must-see filmmaking for me something that's looks a bit different feels a bit different feels a bit adventurous and something that will elevate the medium of filmmaking and then anything with batman in it <laughs> <laughs> love it um i like i really like those answers um for me it's um i want a trailer and uh, and a promotional campaign to pose a huge what if question to me that I can't not think about and need answering, mm. um, you know, like um, like Independence Day did, you know, like a, a really slick campaign that poses a giant question: what if this happened, and what if these were the actors who were going to, you know, partake in a story on that? That that would be hugely for me. Um, must see. Um, an Indiana Jones film is another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but also, um, original content. Yeah. I don't want to see um, an adaptation of something. Um, and this feels really weird because obviously I'd love any of my books to experience an adaptation. But the marketplace is just so saturated with stuff that's been done before, whether it be in words or whether it would be... Uh, 
in moving images. Just it, it's like so much has been done before, and you see like old series being re-green lit constantly. You know that kind of thing. I, I'm a lot or rebooted. That's what I mean. So um, an original thing asking me a what if question really gets me excited. Um, yeah, I think that those are the real ones for me. Actually, I think though that's where my head would be at the moment. That's a good one. I think it's really interesting what you say about it being an original idea, uh, idea because so much of what comes out, particularly in multiplex culture, is based on existing IP already. Mm. So that was part of the reason that I really wanted to go and see Nobody because it yeah. was a, an original script. And also another thing I always look for is uh, the first thing I always look at when anything comes out is the director. Do I know the director's work? Is mm. Is it a director that I like? If it is one of my like top fifty guys, then I'm going. Basically, yeah. If not, if it's not the director, then I'll look at the star and what they're potentially doing in that movie. So again, we take nobody as a as an example. Bob Odenkirk, Love Him in Breaking Bad, and Better Call Saul, doing an action movie, a ninety minute action movie. It's like, yeah, mm. I'm going to go and see that. And it's an original screenplay. Yeah, it's not based that, on any yeah. on any previous material. And yeah, it's not the most original movie I've ever seen in my life, but it is it is its own thing, essentially. Yeah. And uh yeah, so that that was that's a recent example. But yeah, I always like to see, you know, a star sometimes some stars, like tonight's star, for instance, Denzel Washington, I'll watch him in anything. If Denzel's in mm. the movie, I'm gonna watch it. Same with like Leonardo DiCaprio or or Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, just to see what he's going to be hanging off this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it comes down to those factors. But what I al- always like is when I see an actor that I like doing a genre that they wouldn't necessarily normally get involved in, or even yeah. a director doing a genre that they have maybe haven't done previously. So they'd be the things that jump out for me. Also as well, we also we've maybe sometimes come across on this pod that we're anti-critic, which we're not at all. But if a critic that I trust, and I think it's always important for for everyone who's interested in cinema to have the few critics that you trust their opinion. And Absolutely. if they're raving about a movie, then I'll go for it. Or Very in the case good. of Mark Commode, if it's a if it's a comedy and he says it's not funny, then you know it's a laugh riot. So it's time to go and watch it, basically. <laughs> um, but I love Commode. He, he just, as he says himself, he has a tin ear for comedy. Um, so yeah, they're my they're my deciding factors if something becomes a must watch. Amazing. Yeah, directors is a big one, isn't it? Like I I, mm. I would always be pre-booking tickets for like the the latest film from Dennis Villeneuve. Um, <laughs> wasn't ready, wasn't ready. And also like yeah, you know like and then you get the directors who like only bring out films now and again like a like a Lynn Ramsey or something who's made about yeah. like, five films or something and just always five star amazing stuff and you there's always a bit like there's like a bit of a mystique about directors like that james cameron's probably in that bracket as well oh of he course yeah oh, films, definitely when he does now. when he does he's they're really good and let's be honest i'm gonna be there watching avatar 2 like <laughs> really absolutely <laughs> i i can complain about those avatar sequels as much as i want but when the second one comes out i will be there the first weekend like this <laughs> There's no denying it. Yeah. As much as I would prefer him to be doing anything else other than four sequels to Avatar, I will be there on the first the first opportunity as soon as that movie comes out. Yeah, totally. 
And the weird one for me as well, like, like actor-wise, is uh, the cast of Skins. I'm just really interested in whatever they do. Because <laughs> they they've just somehow got into this corner of Hollywood where they're making amazing movies. And and say with like uh, Robert Pattinson, I'll watch anything with him in, him in nowadays. And uh, Christian Stewart as well, mm. going from Twilight. What they do now is just, the, the films they make are just so interesting. So yeah, I could go through a list and be here all night picking directors and actors who are like must-see talent. But um, yeah, that was a great question, Luke. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, yeah, cheers, Luke, man. And thanks for always supporting us, mate. Appreciate it. Um, it's the movie time, isn't it? So Ooh. whose pick was it this week? Uh, James? Yes, it was mine. Yes! Oh, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. Okay, shall, we, shall I hit you with a logline, first and foremost? Please do, please do. Okay, so, after becoming worryingly infatuated with a corpse, Denzel Washington's ATF agent teams up with mid-90s Batman and a team of time-travelling dweebs to apprehend Jesus after the Son of God committed the biggest heel turn in history. <laughs> I was about to lose it, dweebs, and then you hit me with Jesus! <laughs> The film is the third Washington and Tony Scott collaboration and goes by the name of Deja Vu. Deja Vu. Deja Vu. Deja Vu. (laughs) It's not called Echo. (laughs) Roll that trailer. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. It's a phenomenon known as deja vu. It's a phenomenon known as deja vu. You arrive at a place you've never been, but it feels familiar. You look into the face of a stranger and you feel like you've known her all your life. Have we met? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Deja vu is believed by many to be a trick of the mind. But the truth is far more extraordinary. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world but you knew they'd never believe you? I try. Doug, I've been put in charge of a newly formed investigative unit. I want you on the team. Why me? We've got some unique time constraints. He has been shown a secret. It's a brand new program. We can look anywhere. Four days in the past. The government doesn't want you to know. This is not surveillance. This is the actual past. Yes. They found a way to fold space back onto itself. Remember that blackout we had a few years back? Half the Northeast, you're saying you guys? 50 million homes? My bad. Wow. Thanksgiving, the key to stopping disaster. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. Starts by unraveling the mystery of deja vu. What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? I try. You don't have to do this. What if I already have? Deja vu. 
If you think it's just a feeling, go back and look again. Yeah, slight disclaimer. Uh, it wasn't Jesus that uh, set up the bomb. It was actually Jim Caviezel, who's famous for playing Jesus in a previous film. James, why did you pick the <laughs> did you movie? you have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> James, why did you pick Deja Vu? You mean apart from the opportunity to upset a lot of people? <laughs> um, no, so... The reason I picked this is um, Denzel Washington and Tony Scott is unironically one of my favourite director-star collaborations. They made five films together, and I've had a blast with all of them, with the slight exception of their taking of Pelham 123 remake. Back in the day, I think on episode 15, we covered Man on Fire, and I've always felt that Deja Vu is very much a stylistic sequel to that film, so... It's very much a continuation of the uh, of the visual style that Scott sort of brought out in Man on Fire. And uh, in my view, it is well-deserving of a second look. Nice, nice. Apt with the film title itself. Oh, yes. Yeah. Primed for deja vu, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the joke was already done, Si, I'm sorry. Just, just really spell it out. <laughs> what about you, Si? What's your relationship with deja vu? Uh, this was a watch uh, with my mum and dad, with my lovely parents, um, on a Sky box office uh, Saturday night after Chinese, um, just just at home and just just got it on box office and watched it. And my mum and dad love those. Um, well, they they love Tony Scott and Ridley Scott, but, um, and then also they they love those like mystery thrillers where my mum can just talk all the way through it and go, so what I think happened, like, does this happen? And what else? <laughs> all right, mum, just watch the film. That was the, my first film-watching experience of Deja Vu, was my mum and dad just chatting all the way through it. Yeah. Um, I'd pay to watch you watching a film with your mum, because I really for would. those of you who are not aware, Simon doesn't tolerate talking during any <laughs> So the idea of Simon having to restrain himself from shushing his own mother would be... Uh... <laughs> well, never mind getting that on box office. I'm getting this on box office. <laughs> yes, because I, I think I've been in this cinema several times with you where I have told people to shut up. <laughs> I actually have to tell people to shut up at the start of Quiet Place 2. Uh, no, <laughs> when I went to the cinema, you've not yeah. been to the cinema for for months, people. Well, it's, and it was like the film started, and they just started talking. It was like the films are now shut up, <laughs> and they were like, oh, "It's the trailers, mate. It's the trailers." I was like, "No, it fucking is. It's this bloody Jim from the Office, you bell end." <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, segue. Uh, so yes, that was my experience. Um, but I, I I remember really enjoying it. It was a it was a perfect watch for for that sort of evening with the parentals. Um, so yeah, I was I was really looking forward to watching it again, watching it again, especially after watching Man on Fire recently because for this, um, yeah. Um, my relationship is is just really really simple with this one. Like, um, saw the trailer, saw it was Denzel, saw it was Tony Scott, saw the beautiful cinematography in the trailer. I want to go and watch this. Did go and watch it. Went with um, our Pod Dojo brother and really 007 podcast host, um, host uh, Mr. Thomas Pickup, TJP Gray, uh, on Twitter. And we just had an absolute blast. Uh, when, this was in the cinema when it came out in 06. It was just a perfect cinema going experience. Just like edge of your seat, 
loads of wonder, loads of excitement, loads of satisfaction, going home super happy. Yeah, it was just brilliant. Um, I've watched it maybe two or three times since then. And every time, uh, you know, those same sentiments have ever have arisen. So, yeah, super strong relationship with this. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but it must qualify. I, 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 I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Uh, James, numerically, does it qualify? Um, no, no. So, you know, Denzel is on a very good run at this stage. He'd won an Oscar a few years previous for Training Day. Uh, obviously, Man on Fire was a hit as well. So this one premiered in New York City on November 20th, 2006, two days before its wide release in all of the United States and Canada. In the US, the film opened at the number three spot uh, and made $20.5 million in that first weekend. It ran for 14 weeks and it stayed in the top 10 for its first three weeks. It grossed $64 million in the States and Canada and $116.5 million other territories for a worldwide total of $180.6 million against a production budget of $75 million. So a pretty tidy hit all in all. Wow, yeah. And they made $75 million look good. Yes, they did. Absolutely. Um, so, side critically, this was not received well, surely. Well, I feel I may have to bite my tongue with this one. Um, a lot of critics, uh, as you would expect, weren't overly... Fond of Tony Scott and Denzel Washington's late, uh, you know, uh, collaboration. Which one did you say was there was a third or fourth collaboration? This is the third one. So they've had Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, and then this is the third one. Right. So a third collaboration. Um, most citing its implausibility, uh, which is a total bollocks reason to not like for a time travel film, uh, yeah. especially as time travel sci-fi. <laughs> film. It's it's generic uh, action nature, which I'm not sure is true actually. To be fair, it is remotely. Um, And according to uh, a name you guys may or may not recognise, or or some of our listeners may or may not recognise, Scott Tobias. um, (laughs) uh, It's it's apparent uh, stupidity where he said, uh, "Rarely have Bruckheimer and Scott been so upfront about insulting people's intelligence," Um, which is ironic. Coming is that the same way he insults out? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's uh, it's quite ironic coming from uh, Mr. Tobias. Um, so uh yeah it you know incidentally there were some positive reviews um with a lot of love for its visual flamboyance exhilarating action set pieces um, and entertainment value with uh, anton bitel i don't know if i'm saying that right a uh, film four saying uh, like its protagonist you may find yourself wanting to see it more than once to appreciate how everything fits together which earns deja vu the status of a classic at least for the future so i think that was a quite a prophetic uh review i think um and there was a really great review from uh, kenneth Turan in the la times who said uh what is interesting is not how little sense deja vu makes but how little that matters if you want your films to add up logically you're welcome to take your calculator somewhere else but if you do you will be missing out on some first class genre fun oh i whoa i hear you yeah I hear you, um but yeah, so uh, yeah, re- reviews like this weren't massively abundant, um, which led to a fifty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning that's why it qualifies class as rotten, um, and a fifty-nine on Metacritic. There's a slight improvement in the audience side on Rotten Tomatoes, where it's seventy-three, so it's pretty good. 
Um, interestingly, it's 5.7 on Metacritic, so lower than the, the critic score there. That's a weird one. Yeah, really weird one. And then Letterboxd is a really solid 3.2. Nice. With people like Jake Rosenberg, who gave it four stars, and said, a high-concept time travel mystery with a meta angle on how context affects our perception of projected images in motion, all with a humanistic core. Tony Scott had what Michael Bay wants. Which I, I love that line. That's, That's really a good. great line, isn't it? But yeah, it was it, it yeah mixed bag. Mainly negative on the critical, but the the positive reviews were very positive. Um, I think it did quite well in Empire as well. I think it may have got four on Empire. Um, nice, nice. But yeah, That's really interesting. If I may go to bat for the for the critics ever so slightly because they're not the only ones who were mixed on this movie. So uh, Terry Rossio, who is one of the screenwriters, was so disillusioned with the film, he's never seen it. I don't know how you can be disillusioned with it if you haven't watched it. <laughs> watched it? <laughs> so basically he says him and his script's writing partner, they wrote a plot that was airtight, but in Scott's hand, the finished product is now filled with plot holes. That's something a screenwriter would say, though, to be fair. <laughs> yes. Um, and Scott, Tony Scott, also admitted he did a mediocre job directing the film. But he blamed that on the 19-week production schedule, which wasn't as long wow. as he wanted. Well, I heard that the the production. I heard a couple of things here. Um, so I'll go back to the screenplay first. That um, this was one of the most expensive screenplays ever bought. At yes, four and a half million dollars. Um, yeah, that is a lot of kajongas. I mean, I don't give yeah. a shit what they do with that if they give me four point five million. Dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would just, I would tell him, you can go and make a bohemian Las Vegas fairy story. For that kind of money, you can do whatever you like. Um, but the other one is, um, I always knew it was going to be a stretch to try and remember two things at once. The 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 production schedule. Yes, was massively shortened by Hurricane Katrina, wasn't it? Yes. Mm. They had to move locations, didn't they? Because I believe they started prepping and then the hurricane hit and obviously that shut the production down and then they, they're obviously shooting towards a release window, aren't they? Mm. And then they picked up production again once it was once it was safe to do so. And then obviously that truncated the actual production at the time to actually shoot the film. Mm. Um, just on topic of location, um, what is the spiritual FYR sibling of this film? Oh, it's Hard Target. Hard Target. It? Yes, it is! You legends, you both knew it immediately. Yeah. When he goes to uh, catch up with the villain later on in the movie, I was absolutely devastated that Uncle Duvet didn't come rolling out from behind the shack. <laughs> Bounding fast on his horse. Outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. Should we do it as we go? Yes. Yes, absolutely. why not? Because yeah. uh, it's a two-hour movie. Or is it two or one minute? Two, uh, yeah. Something like yeah. that. I thought it was longer than that, actually. I, I remember it being longer, so I was quite pleasantly surprised it was only two hours not two hours 40 like um man on fire was or whatever <laughs> yeah we, we uh we're underway in this movie with lovely music and sailors clambering onto a boat oh yeah they got some shore leaves so they're going back on a boat which is <laughs> <laughs> i think you were spot on before james when you said this is like a sort of spiritual successor to man on fire because it does have that same visual style and it's yeah, really 100%. it's really set up on this intro in it you know like the speed ramping and the film burns on the cuts and the sort of mix of score and needle drops and things like that just for yeah. this intro and it's got the same color palette as well the old teal and orange bonanza oh yeah he loves it's a bit of that lovely, doesn't he it? yeah can, can, on the look of the film um 
the look of this film is astonishingly crisp and clean and um it's aged so well for me yeah it's also shot by paul cameron who shot man on fire as well for tony scott and swordfish which we were discussing last time oh we were yeah yeah. lovely a very proficient cinematographer there and uh, obviously works well with tony scott but um yeah i always thought that when i was watching this last night i was um i thought it was a pretty good marriage of two tony scott uh visual styles so i thought it was a real good amalgamation of enemy of the state you know the will smith film the surveillance movie Mm. and um and man on fire and he seems to mash them two really well together for the visuals in this film yeah i i the 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 enemy of the state thing never actually crossed my mind but it's so obvious now you've (laughs) you've mentioned (laughs) yeah yeah it's you're right you're absolutely right because that's got that timeless clean quality to it as well yeah and it's loads of it's in a control room and then using surveillance although it's past surveillance isn't it when we find out later on that he's actually looking into the past but it has a lot of the basically we just went that was a good movie that was a good movie bring them together <laughs> <laughs> and and it makes a good movie it's so nice to watch uh, truthfully lads when i sat down to watch this last night i thought right i've cleared some schedule today um so that i can finish like the nine uh, like maybe an hour and a half of it so i'm going to watch half an hour last night um and i sat there and watched the whole thing yeah because it's it's that immersive and that nice to watch mm. really nice to watch and uh and we're sort of intercutting between someone finding the bomb and young families and stuff on the boat yeah. and it's all very harrowing um this is five years after 9-11 yeah it is yeah I, I felt like that was super bold for you know the american hollywood juggernaut even though it's tony scott who's british and to do it, it to set it in new orleans as well which has just had its its own devastating yeah. um, disaster and then to just explode a humongous boat on the on the river <laughs> yeah which apparently is real they did that it's an incredible explosion it's just a real 90s blow up that everything in your sight in its, in its sight and apparently it's the yeah it's the biggest stunt ever filmed in new orleans and yeah that boat went up they absolutely rigged that thing and it went sky high it was only later on that I read that they'd done it for real because I put in my notes here, well, they did that great with CGI. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was that, it, it, it was such a great explosion. Um, and that like, I mean, it felt like a a seismic level a, a terrorist atrocity, didn't it? Yeah. You know, which I think, I think therefore from that point, the story leans on that a lot because the, it, it's such an awful event. And if it was just a, a, a you know, I don't want to say a small thing because any obviously any loss of life is bad loss of life, but like the fact that so many people died in this monster event lends so much gravity to what transpires later on. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's got a similar sort of vibe to Died with a Vengeance opening sequence, hasn't it? Where it's like Hot Town, Summer in the City. <laughs> Because there's all that sort of going on. I think it's the, it's the Beach Boys, isn't it? That that song when the guy finds the bomb. I mean, you get a bit of a hint it's going to blow up in this one. You don't in Dial of the Vengeance. But yeah, all that's just punctured by this humongous explosion. Yeah. All the moving parts for, for this, not just the opening bit, but all the bit that comes after that. So yeah, when all the, the cops are there investigating, you've got loads of boats, you know, pulling out the, the ferry from the bottom of the water. You've got helicopters everywhere. There's just cars everywhere. There's hundreds of people everywhere. 
there's a this is a big production. This is it a is. full scale yeah. production for this movie. They really did not cut corners with it. And this would have looked so so rubbish if all this had been done CG as well. Oh yeah, the effort that they went to. I I can't see truthfully a physical uh, uh, sorry a visual effects in this movie that I have any quibbles with. No, it oh, looks pretty it, practical apart yeah. from some of the the because there's some shots of sailors jumping into the drink while their backs are on fire and obviously that's that's done with that's not done practically yeah. because you couldn't do that with a huge explosion in the background but <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah apart from that I'm nothing really jarred with me and considering it's like what 15 years old now this movie that's a real testament yeah. to shooting things practically yeah. we're big fans of that same for man on fire wasn't it everything just looked it was so yeah it definitely was real and i think that's part of the reason why this film works so much is just how real it feel, feels because yeah. it opens up like a yeah. traditional police procedural doesn't it it's just charismatic sexy cop <laughs> and a huge shirt yeah <laughs> how big is that shirt it's like a tent <laughs> i do love it he comes in with like um slow-mo jcvd like this is oh, it's very slow is this another a, a slow-mo intro of a main character that's happened in new orleans before <laughs> Well, he, did, he didn't get as many as um, JCVD, did he? Did, did no, he didn't. He got three or four. Yeah, he, got three. <laughs> he only got one. But uh. it, it's so great. And, and obviously, we so much of this movie hinges on Denzel's commitment and application to it. And he just, he goes, he makes everything so effortlessly Moorish unbelievable. Like, I want to watch yeah. him. I want to watch what he's doing now. I want to watch where this investigation goes. But I want to watch the scenes he's in. He's brilliant. He's just the best. For me, he's like my favourite sort of A-list star in terms of anything that he's in, he can make you buy into it. And, you know, he's not just a movie star as well. He can really act as well. You know, he's mm. won a couple of Oscars. He can do real highbrow drama as well. And he can turn his hand, you know, to action and to thrillers. And he does both with the same level of commitment seemingly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I think that's why I rate him so highly is because he can sort of flick between those two things, whereas not every actor can do this. So like a contemporary of of Denzel Washington's is Daniel Day-Lewis. They're around the same age. They both had critical mm. acclaim for performances. Now, if you put Denzel into There Will Be Blood, now maybe it's not as good, but it's not embarrassing he'll have a take on that character and he'll deliver a good performance you put daniel day lewis in this movie and it gets embarrassing really really quickly <laughs> i would love to see that <laughs> not at the expense of what we've got but a, an alternate universe take on it that's amazing i never thought about it like that that's amazing do you know how old he is in this movie denzel he must be in his oh, late 40s i would 40, think 46 47 51 unreal that was him filming it was 52 so he's like 66 now, now. It's incredibly. He made like an equaliser sequel one, about two years, two or three years. <laughs> he's, he's actually sixty-seven now. I only know that because he's a year younger than my dad. He so, looks ex yeah. he looks exactly the same as he's always has done. <laughs> he's just he's he's so good. Fifty-one in this, and he doesn't make any of this look unfeasible. No, you know any of this looks silly, um, but he also looks like a credible love interest for Paula Patton as well. Yes. Mm. I mean, it, it gets a bit pervy, which I'm sure we'll. we'll, we'll it does, yeah. We're gonna have to dig into but, that. Uh, it's but, unnecessary. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but well, Paula Patton's body shows up, doesn't it? And this is, you know, where it all goes a bit mysterious. Um, yeah. And this is this is where Denzel comes to the fore to solve the crime, and yeah, this is where he he, he meets old, old 
Or Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Toby Batman. Not in the full suit in broad daylight like he was in Batman Forever, though. No. I don't think he'd fit in it these days, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Only nine years later. Only nine years later. Yeah. He's a lot happier, though, James. He's a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good in this. Sorry, we're talking about Val Kilmer. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's really good in this. Um, he is, yeah. In a role that um, he would not usually play, because it's not a very starry role. It's not a very... No, it's not. Um, uh, there's not a lot of pizzazz to do with this role. It's just, he is great at it. And it's yeah. just really nice to have someone that good doing that role. It's just he, nice. is, he is good, but I do think it's indicative of the bridges that he's burned in Hollywood that he's having to Most take likely, a role yes. like this. And obviously Tony Scott has directed him before in True Romance in um, in Top Gun, famously. Yes. So it feels like Tony Scott's maybe cast him because he knows he can work with him. But, yeah. you know, given where Val Kilmer was in the mid-90s for him to now be playing like sort of a role that could be played by anyone. Can anyone say his character name? No. I can't remember his character name. Know that's, that's, that's how... That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just an FBI dude, isn't he? Well, he's he's sort of like the connection between Denzel's ATF agent, Doug Carlin, and yeah. the sci-fi element of the film, isn't it? Very much so. He's, but he's, he's, he's towed that line so perfectly. Because an investigation starts, and it's it's all going sort of, um, as you would expect, it's all a, a post-event uh, investigation where something terrible's happened and we're trying to make sense of it. Then he gets brought in on the pretense of making sense of what has already happened into this super cool unit of the FBI or where... Well, no, he's from the ATF, but are these guys FBI? Yeah, yeah they're FBI. FBI, yeah. They're FBI, right. Eddie from Friends and Fulton Reed are the, the, the dweebs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said Fulton Reed. Yeah, uh, are yeah. the dweebs who are like uh, operating... And, 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 and um, uh, Erica Alexander as well, who, who plays Shanty, she, she's uh, the sort of foil between the two of them. Um, yeah, because they're 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 all the comic relief as well, aren't they? Yeah, those three. yeah, yeah. And again, it's another good throwback to Enemy of the State because what he did in that movie is he got a load of recognisable character actors to come in and play all the tech guys who were in the vans and yeah. stuff like that. He had like Jack Black and Scott Kahn and people like that yeah. rolling around in the van, keeping an eye on Will Smith. <laughs> was it not like was was Jamie Kennedy not one of them as well? Yeah, yeah. Seth, everybody. Seth Green was one of them. Like just proper comedy character actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he does that here with, it. and then. Almost as soon as so, basically, Denzel finds uh, is notified about uh, Paula Patton's body having washed up on the shore, and it looks like she's been in the explosion. But then he, when he goes to the coroner and they're uh, they're about to begin the autopsy, he realizes that she'd had duct tape over her mouth and that her fingers had been cut off rather than blown off by shrapnel. So she'd actually been murdered before the event itself, and it's kind of creepy because he sort of fancies her, even though. Well, <laughs> yeah, dead. because and, and you've got this lovely little plonky romantic score as he looks into her dead eyes, yeah. <laughs> cold dead eyes, and you're like, "All right, mate." It's, it's very strange. Uh, I wonder. I mean, I know you're dead and all, but forever, Megan. Um, <laughs> the, it's a good thing the coroner's there. To be honest. Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, he also does the incredibly tasteless thing of taking a Polaroid picture of. Yeah. Um, the body oh, and for his investigations to... Robert well then he goes to the dad and then <laughs> says I'm so sorry I've got this yeah and he he's forced to identify her from a photograph from an autopsy table she's not helpful um full disclosure here I don't like negatives I really don't like them but I struggled with the dad here 
he, he seemed more upset that she hadn't picked him up from the airport like she was yeah, supposed yeah. to. She, he mentions it like five times, like, well, I had to get a cab from O'Hare. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I have showed you a Polaroid, mate. She is dead. What a, what a massive inconvenience. Your, your daughter's <laughs> dead, mate. Well, well you know, cost me $45, that was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's sort of infatuated by her, isn't he? He, uh, is, he yes. He um, is. And he understands that it's a murder, so obviously that gets his police brain working. And then he gets mm. drafted into this squad by Val Kilmer and uh, Captain Pike, Bruce Greenwood. Yes, mm. yeah. Yeah. And um, and then they start showing him all this surveillance footage that they have, which they claim is from satellites, and they can do one continuous take of four four days and six hours earlier. And what he what Denzel comes to deduces is that Paula Patton must have been killed by the bomber. So if we surveil um, Paula Patton from four days earlier, we'll see a change in her routine. And that will lead us to the bomber and we'll be able to pinpoint him more easily. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, they <laughs> Yeah. Reading the reviews, the sort of concept behind all this, this is what people had a problem with. Yes, it's preposterous in the sense that it's a massive infringement on privacy. <laughs> yeah. but, but it just makes for a really great tool to tell the story and to get Denzel to solve this crime for um, this woman he's now infatuated with. And, he wants to save her, doesn't he? That's the that's his sort of main. Obviously, he wants to solve the crime of who the murderer is, but he, he also wants to save her as much as solve the crime. Yeah, yes. A uh, bit unprofessional, but, uh, you know, that, that he fancies her <laughs> so much. Favourite, <laughs> All them other cases on my caseload, I'm just going to sit to the side for a bit. I've got this past one with someone who's already dead, but she was dead fit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the film sort of sets up that if it was one of us who'd washed up on the shore, then, um, <laughs> then basically Denzel wouldn't be interested in investigating <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I need to have dreamy eyes like Paula Patton. <laughs> dreamy dead eyes, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like uh, the, the, the tool they do, you know, the, in this little room with all the scanning, it's like the live video version of um, the Blade Runner photo scanner thing, isn't mm, it? Where mm, you can. Yeah. Which, you know, in Blade Runner, that made zero sense. But it was the future, so you're like, all right, whatever. You just go with it. You know, that that's the beauty of sci-fi is you, you, you do have to let go of what reality is. And I guess the thing of this film is because it feels so real that it's a bit more difficult to do that because it feels modern day and it feels yeah. like it's a it's a genuine, you know, just happens this week sort of thing. So maybe it's a bit difficult to to suspend reality that much, but I, I like it. I, I I really dug the. Uh, I think it works. Yeah, yeah re- really dug it. Um, the laser pen thing was a bit daft, but I was like, yeah, whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's one yeah. of my favourite bits. I absolutely love that. Um, but I totally agree with you. Like, if you're gonna go to a move, uh, go to the cinema, right? You're watching a uh, you're watching a story that's made up. Okay. Yeah. So you're already <laughs> suspending belief. And then Is you add in no science further? fiction. On top of that, you have to then go a step uh, yeah. further. I don't go into a time travel film, any time travel film, expecting plausibility. It's not possible. It's literally yeah. impossible to travel I'm through not, time. Yeah. I'm not I'm not here to um <laughs> grade this. <laughs> I'm here to just yeah. go like, did I really like it? Yes, I really liked it. I had a great time. 
That's it. Simple. Simple as that. That's the thing. Like Some of those reviews saying, oh, this is implausible. Of course it is. It's fucking time travel. So is a DeLorean yeah. going back in time. Oh. But no one's got <laughs> so, a problem sorry, with that. What, what, what stars <laughs> did you give flipping Lord of the Rings? Would you, <laughs> they're <very> elves. <laughs> goblins. <laughs> Nonsense. That tree's not... talking. Ooh, oh, no, no, I think I, don't, I just don't know what these people want. <laughs> but we already know that anyway. Because uh, yeah, because Denzel suspects it's a bit more than just cameras and, and fancy tech, doesn't yeah. he? When he when he gets he's, his laser oh, pen out so and uh, they 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 bring Denzel into the into the um into the rabbit hole, don't they? Of what this tech yeah. is, yeah. and it's uh it's it, it's this real time time travel. It's like a what is it? A telescope into the past or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they invented it by accident, didn't they? They did. Basically. Which again, I again, like I love. I, I like how they just go. Yeah, it was just completely by accident. We were trying I to do this, that. and then this happened. <laughs> Surely, so many of the greatest science experiments, science discoveries of all time, were by accident. Yeah. So yeah, why not? The only people who are going to complain about this leap in logic here are people who've been told, yeah, it's a police procedural film. Yeah, or something like mm. that, and then they've gone and expecting one thing, and they're they're determined to have that, mm-hmm. and then when this comes in, they're like, "Oh, it's, it's unrealistic." Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> well, that's Come quite on, an interesting point care. because the first time I went to see this film at the cinema, I hadn't seen any trailers because it was back in two thousand and six, and you could avoid things if you wanted oh, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just went in, went on a whim. I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to go. It's coming out." And I didn't know that there was a science fiction element to the film, so I thought it was deja vu because Denzel was investigating a crime that was similar to one that he'd already investigated. Oh, <laughs> so remember that the massive t- boat disaster two years ago, Denzel, that you, <laughs> <laughs> you were on? Yeah, I was like, this is a bit, it's a bit unlucky to have two unsolved <laughs> boat massacres. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, as soon as and then the time travel came in, and I was like, literally, the cinema, like, whoa, here we go, this is all right. Wasn't yeah. expecting this. <laughs> of course, oh. if I'd seen the trailer, it would have been ruined for me. Because <laughs> you like the good stuff, James. You you were down for the cinema ride, you know. Uh, but I I really like all these scenes in that little, like that lovely little engineering unit wherever yeah. they are. I like them all. Has a film never not been improved by a scene in a control room? Control never. rooms are the bomb. Everyone loves such the control a question, room. man. Agree with you. <laughs> Fulton Reed is really is such a whiz on the controls, isn't he? And he's oh, got yeah, he loves quick pans yeah. of him. Like... He's also a bit of a pervert. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, at least they all acknowledge how pervert they are when they're all a bit like, "This is really out of order, lads. We should probably stop doing this." Yeah, yeah. I w- I was glad they at least acknowledged it because I'm like, Denzel's going a bit too far here. He's perving on. Yeah, we should go <laughs> to her apartment and just watch. Her apartment, even when she's getting ready, yeah, especially when she's getting ready, that's the most important part. Even in the shower, do we do we have to? Yeah, yeah, we we've got to watch. We just got to check that there's no naked. baddies in the shower, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> around, yeah. All right, okay. But no, I, I love all that, and I love the like um the projections on their faces. You know, when they're watching all the videos, which I mean, it wouldn't be like that in real life, but it just looks it's such a great technique to mm. get this. Because there's a lot filmed in just this one room, there oh, where yes. it's just for and it, but they they're quite in, it's quite inventive how they shoot it and how it looks. Well, and... Some of it's shot through almost through the screen that they're looking at, so you get shadows on the um, you know it looks like you you're looking through certain shapes. Yeah, the pro- like the projections onto the faces. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's just super, isn't it? Yeah, it's really really good. And then all the like hard work to film all that stuff as well. Oh. So they've got oh, to film yeah. the room stuff. 
well, they've got to film all the stuff going on on the screens they're watching, and then they film them watching that stuff. It's quite intricate. There's it a is. lot going on. There's a lot of plates being spun for this thing, and I, maybe people didn't appreciate the the level of planning and 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 yeah. crafting to that bit because it, it looks be. all live as well, doesn't it? I don't think I don't think all that's been put on afterwards. I think it is. No, I agree with you. Stuff they've shot and edited before they've gone into film those bits. Um, it's like they're making two films. The more over the last decade, with the lack of great action movie directors, I think that are knocking about these days. I think people just took Tony for granted, to be honest. Like that they didn't. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily. He's not a nuanced filmmaker. You wouldn't necessarily give him a heavy hitting drama to make because he, you know, the way he makes films and the way his camera's always moving and cutting, and he brings that real energy to it. But for this sort of genre, you know, with these action thrillers, there were f- there's few guys who were who were better than him in terms of putting this type of story onto the screen. In terms of big. You know, not even massive budget, you know, the sort of mid-budget popcorn entertainment that really just grabbed you and was interesting to look at as well. Mm. Yeah, this is, um, for me, of the time, this is just like peak filmmaking for me. This is as good as anything you will see at the time. Yeah. Like, literally. Um, for, for the specific genre as well, there's nobody better. Yeah, there's no one, there, there's, there's nothing better looking or telling stories better than this as well, like. And he thinks he did a mediocre job on this one, but I oh, think he's really exactly. like doing a very good job, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Who knew that when we did Deja Vu that the critic I'd be most upset with was Tony Scott himself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's determined, Denzel, to use this information he's learning in the real world as well that's there, because he still thinks it's in the past. Yeah. But we get to a sort of like a, a, a turning point moment when he realises with this laser point thing that he can they, they can influence the past and send things there so this, they send this note and he's um they're watching this um argument between him and his partner from the past and uh while it's happening they decide to put a note down on the on the thing uh to say yeah. you got to go and surveil this guy but denzel's left and i love that jeopardy as well like i'm leaving yeah. i'm leaving you know he's watching himself in the past he knows he's going to leave I'm leaving. You're going to have to get this note there really quickly. And I think this is really interesting. So it throws up some very philosophical questions. So what we'd learned earlier in the film is that his partner, who they hadn't been able to get hold of him at all, and it it turns out that he was on the ferry when it blew up, or seemingly Mm. so. But now we don't know if Denzel sending a note into the past and his partner picking up that note inadvertently led his partner to his death because it's an anonymous tip off isn't it about a bombing on the ferry and his partner goes to investigate and Jim Caviezel aka Jesus (laughs) murders him so Denzel doesn't know if he caused that murder in the first place Mm. and that that's the thing what really spins me out about this it's like are they watching something which is always predestined predetermined or are they changing it because he keeps saying doesn't he he's like will change some of the instances, but the, the ultimate end will always be the same. We can't really change anything. It's just we'll change it in a different way, but they can't quite figure that out. And there's all these little bits throughout the film which sort of hint whether this was all predetermined anyway and you're just sort of filling that prophecy as you go by yeah. thinking you're changing all... The, you know, you meddling in the past is ultimately what changed all those things, which is all the... All time travel films have that sort of 
weird problems with it, don't you? Which the, yeah, the paradoxes. Yeah. yeah, the paradoxes, and people would say are plot holes, but it's like no, they're not. They're, they're they're all explained. I think. I think all these things which people would deem as plot holes are I perfectly think he gets away with it. Yeah, I think I, I think you do have to you have to have a degree of like blagging it when you're doing a time travel movie because it's yeah, so sure. complicated. Flipping it. Of course so, you do. So complicated. Of course you do. I, mean, I, I tell you, this this film attacks it in a much more cohesive way than possibly Time Cop did a few episodes back. <laughs> so, you know, like, but it's, like as you say, it's, it's like a poison chalice doing a, t- a, a time travel thing. You, you can't get it right because people like say, oh no, the science isn't real. Like the science is unproven. Doesn't yeah. mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing what you say about the science here. So as long as you can uh, come up with a narrative that works and a story that's compelling enough, and it makes enough sense for you to, for you to enjoy the story, why quibble? Let's yeah. just. I mean, and this is the thing. Of course, there are things hanging over, and I love that suggestion that you can't. Um, the. the that everyone's destinies are are preordained in a way. You know, you can't alter them. Can't yeah. change them. There's something very romantic and exciting in a filmic sense to think that you can change them. Yeah. So I love the fact that he couldn't change his partner's destiny, but he could definitely change Paula Patton's. Of course, we can change Paula Patton's. <laughs> of course, yeah, we can. Definitely. Because we might be able well, to. He's got to try. Never he's mecca. definitely got to try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in that scenario, he has the motivation of a raging erection that's going <laughs> to get him over the wall. <laughs> Difficult to run though. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> It's the pants. It's the clean in the pants. He does like a pair of slacks, doesn't he? He does like a baggy slacks. He's very. All his clothes are really baggy. And <laughs> no, doesn't he go to uh, what's it? Uh, the Great Outdoors to buy his clothes. <laughs> buys a series of tents. <laughs> That's clothes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the bit that I think that uh, which which follows neatly on from here that most people get upset about if you're. If you're not going along with this movie, you're not going to go along with this bit. Is when the the lovely goggles come out. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm all all down with it. I'm there. But if they can't get a signal, and he can jump in a Humvee, yeah. and drive off, and it's uh, I'm only borrowing your Humvee, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, he can drive off, and it's got like it can map it and view it through the goggles that are in the front seat. Yeah. So much invention. What an incredible idea. Yeah, what an incredible idea. Uh, like, it's it's so great. Daft. Daft for sure. But Daft as balls, yeah. man. But Love like, it. right, so this movie's been in a room essentially for ages, right? Yeah. We need to get out into the real world. We need to get out into, you know, so let's find a way. This movie's this movie is endlessly inventive. Yeah. Tony's got to shoot a car chase, right? So how does he up the ante? So basically. Because they're watching footage from four days and six hours before uh, beforehand, Denzel's just witnessed his partner get shot in the past, okay, <laughs> by by the bomber. The bomber leaves a scene in a car. He's going outside of the area that they can surveil. They have a portable rig, which is called the go- what's it called? The go- um... goggle rig. The uh... goggle rig. Yeah. No, it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the okay. goggle rig, which is a line of sight. So basically, if he can catch up to where that car is in the past geographically then and look at it, then the team can continue to monitor where the guy's going. So what you have here is a car chase where he's having to dodge traffic in the present while pursuing the antagonist in the past. 
it's just it's just brilliantly well done. It's so well executed. It really is. Really is so good. And at night as well. So he's in the day, isn't he? And I think this is why they have such a specific time of four days and six hours. So they <laughs> yeah. could have it as a night and day oh, car chase. That makes just, perfect sense. Just, just, yeah. just, for the, just to be like, we need to make it look a bit better. So let's. Uh, that's why they did the six hours. <laughs> I was like, yeah. fine. That's that's fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> Totally agree. But I really like that arbitrary amount, though, because it's like if you were discovering stuff, it's like, you know, if you're if you are on the forefront of science, like whatever numbers you get given back, like, oh, so that's what they are. Oh, well, we just work with those then. You know, yeah. like that's it. Like the absolute arbitrariness of discovery. I love it. Uh, and and the car chase is wicked. So uh, absolutely good. wicked. He's very fortunate throughout it many times. Yeah, I hope he didn't kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he gets hit by an articulated lorry at one point. He's absolutely fine. It's a brilliant <laughs> shot, though, when the lorry is bearing down on him and he's looking at the suspect in his. Yeah. In the, it's a brilliant bit of filmmaking. It's super filmmaking in this mm. sequence. And actually. again, it's just testament to Denzel because there's not many actors who'd be able to pull off a car chase wearing that stupid helmet. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but he, he himself knows he's like, all right, I'm going to wear this thing now. And, you know, like, okay. And, you know, that kind of thing. And he's just gone with it. He's you just saying, root for him all the time, don't you? You just you completely yeah, invested in what he is and what he's doing. A hundred percent. Well, from there, um, well, he's involved in all sorts of road traffic incidents. <laughs> yeah. Gets in trouble. And we, we I mean, like, to, to paraphrase to a degree, we end up at a point where... He can't do anything more, but he believes that he can get in there. Mm. And they have this sort of like thinly veiled phone call, which is like with him and Val Kilmer, like, I can get in there kind of thing. You know, you can I go in there? That sort of thing. Um, Into the contraption that they sent the note back in. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm up for human trials, basically. Send me back in time. I can save her. Yeah. Yeah. No, not, the, not the 500 people on the boat, just her. Yeah. Just, just, well, just, well, yeah. Obviously, just her. The 500 people would be a bonus, not the other way around. Never making. It, they catch Caviezel and he just admits everything, doesn't he? So Denzel's like, right, he yeah, knows yeah. what's going to happen. That's it, yeah. Yeah, that's the, 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 the trigger for it, isn't it? He wants to take the risk. Because you get, you get an idea that there's, there's nothing really going on in Denzel's life. He's a local guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and then they mention that all he's got is his job. He doesn't really have any family or anything like that. So he can make this sacrifice, I think, for the for the yeah. for the job and for this woman, this dead woman who's fallen in love with. <laughs> Weird guy. <laughs> I mean, when you break it down, it's a bit unsavory, yeah. isn't it? It's like, but this is what movie stars were able to do. Remember back in the day when we talked about Tomorrowland and how uh, George Clooney was in that film was sort of as a little boy he'd fallen in love with this robot girl. And now he's st- and he still had that same affection for her. Like in lesser hands, it'd be really, really creepy. But yeah, you're right. If right, you've got that right, movie yeah. star wattage and you can make yourself likable and credible, then it doesn't come across that Absolutely. way. It's only when you deconstruct it afterwards, it's like, Ooh. like, uh, <laughs> like yeah, like Jack Black in School of Rock as well. Like, exactly. What yeah. he does is horrendous, but you you let him go because he's Jack Black. <laughs> it's like what a funny guy. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is sort of like final stretch of the movie now isn't it him going back to stop the crime basically he's time cop essentially yeah he is time cop yeah <laughs> yes he is is this is this a modern new orleans is this the new orleans division of yeah the, of the time, time unit from 
that movie. When he went back in time, it's a shame he didn't like come across Chance Boudreau on the way out of the hospital. And goes, and Chance Boudreau just gives him a wink and goes, "Have fun." <sighs> it could have, it could oh, have been such an word. unofficial prequel to Time Cop. This was how that technology was invented through Deja Vu, and then yeah, it it created the police division, which Honestly, was I'm so... headed up but, and and invented and and uh, championed by ATF agent Doug Carlin, who was now a legend <laughs> in time travel, time coppery. Oh my word! No, it's the other way around. It's Max Walker. <laughs> Max Walker. <laughs> yeah, and Chance Boudreau. That's just because it's set in New Orleans before we get any tweets. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I, this race against time stuff, I'm I'm so all in for. Um, yeah. By this point, it's just I'm not I'm not questioning anything. I know that um, it's all about a van. Uh, she's nicked. Sorry, he's nicked. Sorry, Jesus has nicked his van. <laughs> not the real Jesus. Let's make that perfectly clear. <laughs> Jesus has nicked his. <laughs> Jim Caviezel has nicked his van, and uh, her van, and uh, has put it on the boat. And it's full of explosives. Yeah. And they need to sort of, they just need to get there, basically. Well, first, there's an amazing action sequence, isn't there, where Denzel is resuscitated oh, in yes! the hospital, yeah. which they walked him back to, which was good thinking on their part. Very and clever. He has a Very note clever. On his chest to put that says, Revive yeah. me. Um, Super. Which they do. He steals an ambulance and a gun from a paramedic. Yep. And he heads out to the bayou. And earlier, when we were at the bayou, though, the uh, in the present day, uh, the building had been leveled, and there was an ambulance like nestled in the middle of it. And this is, and we see here the payoff for that. So they start paying off a lot of all the sort of time travel Easter eggs that we've had mm. peppered throughout the film. And uh, yeah, just Denzel just goes crashing through a wall in an ambulance. Uh, and this is all just so. I mean, this is just second nature to Tony Scott. This is bread and butter. It's just a really well executed shootout, isn't it? Really slickly yes. filmed and cut together. Yeah. Caviezel shoots through the windscreen. Denzel takes a slug in the shoulder. Caviezel gets away, but he manages to save Paula Patton. And then she's not fully trusting on her because he seems to know exactly who she is and what she's been doing and blah, blah, blah. So she thinks he might be the person who abducted her in the first place. But obviously it's just because he's been watching her obsessively for the last three days. <laughs> Which you should still be worried about, to be fair. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, but um, it's not the great basis for a relationship. <laughs> we've got more pressing concerns at this stage. So we've got to go and stop a boat blowing up. We'll deal with my stalking afterwards. <laughs> um, after he saves her life in the sort of past, present, wherever we are, um, they go back to her apartment. Yeah. Which is weird because he's already been there before in the eyes of Fulton Reed. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, she's naturally suspicious because he's acting all sketchy and he knows a lot about her, so she pulls a gun on him, naturally. Uh, <laughs> which I don't blame her for, in the least. Not really. I haven't seen Paula Patton in anything for a long time, you know. She was in, obviously, uh, Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol, wasn't she? And yeah. then she wasn't back for the sequels to that one. But she's good. I, I think, think she's, she's really, really good. good. Yeah, there was a, there, I don't know how far it got, but there's a lot of people asking for her to come back into the Mission Impossible films because it was like she just unceremoniously got dumped from them. When Mission Impossible were trying to do that, like, let's make it like Bond, where it's just, you know, Bond women, where it's just one per film. And then yeah. that was broken with Rebecca Ferguson. And then they brought Michelle Monaghan back. And it's like, bring back Paula Patton. Like, give her a yeah. another shot. She was great I, I in think, Mission Impossible. I think she's brilliant. I, I Honestly, I think I think she's been robbed of... 
uh, being a movie star, like a one of the like an A list. I do seriously. Yeah, I think she's that good in this. I think a few. She did a few projects that maybe didn't do so well because isn't she in the Warcraft film oh, as well? She? Isn't yeah. she one of the goblins or something in that? Um, she is in the Warcraft, and obviously, you know, I like Duncan Jones, but I don't think that film did very well at the box office or critically. I'd so be very surprised potentially... if that film doesn't come to our shores, right? You know, at some point because. I've not seen it, but I know that loads of people absolutely love it. I I uh, started to watch it and fell asleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <ringing a> doorbell. <laughs> don't know. Don't know if that says something bad about the film or me just being an old man. I, I'm not too sure. <laughs> but yeah, she's excellent in this, and she's really likable. And even though, from Denzel's point of view, it's all a bit creepy, you get the sense of why he would be so infatuated with her because not yeah. only is she striking she's she seems like a good person she's a really well, nice normal like person with nice um uh, characteristics and attributes and goals and personality i mean very selfish of her to not pick up her dad when she's uh too busy dying Dead. <laughs> <laughs> very selfish. a character flaw he's still yet to let her go from <laughs> still yet to forgive <laughs> uh yeah they they have this brilliant race to the um well the boat going off um and the there's... yeah the secondary concern now that it's safe fall apart it's like <laughs> I've got to save the five hundred people who are going yeah, to yeah 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 like, oh my god I got to do this so the last twenty five minutes of the movie uh, are him sort of like trying to not feel bad for wanting to forever mac Paula Patton basically <laughs> yeah and he they have this great bit where I, right I like the snatched kiss. I really like the little kiss. Yeah. It's not a giant Mac. It's a a little sneaked. We shouldn't. I don't know why we have this connection, but we do kiss, which is great. Well, he does. I don't know about her. <laughs> <laughs> She's 30. He's 51. Just just background information. Yeah, but he looks 40, so it's not. <laughs> I hope I look like him in two years when I hit 40. Flipping it. <laughs> and yeah, um, basically, the... Caviezel sets up the bomb to go off, doesn't he? And then as he's leaving the crime scene, ready to watch the the explosion from the bridge, he sees his car, which foolishly Denzel has driven to the crime scene. That tips him off that they're (laughs) onto him. So he jumps back on the ferry, doesn't he? And then there's a... uh, And then Paula Patton jumps on the ferry to warn Doug that Caviezel's going to be back and try and kill him. There's a brilliant shootout on the car deck below. And... um, yeah, a really satisfying death as well, I thought. For Yeah, Ooh, yeah. nice folding. He did his own stunts as well. He got he? Um, fully hit by the car, Legend. which could have paralysed him, but he was fine doing it. I suppose he was Jesus, so... <laughs> well, he's been crucified. He's had, he's had worse, he's had worse he's had days worse. at the office. Hear me. <laughs> <laughs> you know Mel Gibson was really whipping him. <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys surprised that this was a 12 because even though it's not particularly graphic there's some quite hefty themes in this like i'm thinking for instance you know when larry his partner is murdered he gets shot up then he gets dragged to the bayou place he gets gasoline poured over him then he gets shot in the head and also as well just the some of the themes that he deals with in terms of the fact that caviezel's character is pretty much a He's a white supremacist, isn't he? Yes. Almost. He does like a clan salute on the um he does, yeah. when he's on the 
on the car deck, and he's a he's a fundamentalist essentially. It just seems quite heady stuff for something that you could take your eight year old to say. <laughs> Definitely, there's also a great big pile of um, unbagged bodies on the dock at one point. Yeah, it, no, it's it's extremely uh, heavy going. I don't. I, I wouldn't recommend this to. I, I think. I think like it's it's a it's a really good question, this James asked, because it's not like we've essentially hit the end of the movie, really here. Yeah. But there's nothing in there that makes me think it's worse, like visually worse than a 12. But thematically, yeah. And the subtext and the context as well. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you consider that Denzel's trying to make a dead woman. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's something like I, I don't think if I was a twelve-year-old, I would get much out of it. I'd be a bit confused, to be honest. And as a twelve-year-old, I'd probably be going, like, "Well, well, that's a bit stupid, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> Daft twelve-year-old. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. At twelve, I wouldn't know of what what to made of this. I certainly because I was watching um, JCVD and John Woo stuff at twelve. Yeah, and this would have messed my head up. I wouldn't, you know, I would have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. It would have melted my brain. Back to the Future was hard enough for me. As <laughs> yeah. We finished it, really, haven't we? Like, well, well, not really, because we have the biggest twist of all coming now. So, Oh, yeah. Basically, the bomb's still rigged to go, isn't it? So all they can do is drive it off the boat. Mm. So that's what they do. They drive it into the drink, and then Paula Patton is able to get out of the car but Doug, unfortunately, is not... I'll stop calling him Paul the Pattern. A character, his name is is Claire. And uh, Doug is stuck in the car, and the car explodes, and dead Denzel. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, what? Say what? He dies in the car, doesn't he? Ba-bam! And then um, Claire is back on the dock uh, moments later, and she's clearly a bit shook up. It's been a pretty heavy-duty morning. <laughs> to, be, to be fair and then who should turn up but Denzel in a massive shirt that he was wearing <laughs> in his gorgeous four man tent four days yeah. and six hours uh, previous <laughs> yeah they've caught up now but and I don't want to be that guy but does that work if future Denzel dies in the past how can past Denzel still exist or are we in a parallel universe now have we branched off into a I parallel know. timeline I feel, I feel they have made a new timeline haven't they and I feel I feel that way because Adam Greenberg said that anything that you go back and change that fundamentally creates a new a new reality and they, there was a brief mention of paradoxes wasn't there where it was don't meet yourself yeah. that he did briefly say that like if you do see yourself don't engage because the world yeah. will explode. So you can both <laughs> exist in that. So you can both exist in that timeline. So basically, when Denzel's gone back in time, this is the logic of the movie. Anyway, when he's gone back in time, he's existing within that plane. It basically he he's not affecting anything that happens to the other Denzel. They're not linked. It's sort of like he's jumped back into a parallel universe. Yes, because he hasn't come into uh, Claire's life until after the event of the explosion, has he? So. Yeah, this is none of that is linked, up and so he's right, yeah. he's out of the 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 circle <laughs> the, of the machine where the machine can. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, we that's that's that I think that's that's what it is. But I was so relieved when he rocked up in his car. Oh, I was like, I yeah. Did, I was poor Denzel. <laughs> Just, I mean, that, that feels like a studio note. It's like we can't have Denzel dead at the end of the movie. <laughs> this isn't Man on Fire, Tony. 
Like we can't do this twice. Can't keep killing him, Tony. <laughs> yeah, stop murdering Denzel, you bastard. <laughs> We're paying millions for him. Don't keep killing him. Yeah, and anyway, they get in the car, and I'm all primed to do the Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme, where you point at the screen. <laughs> where he's going to say the title of the movie. He's going to say the title of the movie, but he doesn't because he's a really good actor, and he just expresses it with a look and that nah. movie star nah. wattage smile, and he's like, nah, and then they drive off, and that's it. We're done. Yeah. Little does he know that he saved her life moments earlier. No. Yeah. Uh, best bits, fellas. What you got? Oh, so... I've got to bring up the goggle rig. So we we talked about it earlier. So I just think that car chase is really well executed. And the reason that I knew it was working so well for me. So I was sat downstairs watching it on the, on my TV downstairs. And um, I've got the sound. I've got a half decent sound system. So I'm really engrossed in it. Really enjoyed it. And then all of a sudden I hear this voice behind me like, what are you watching? Anyway, my son has got out of bed. This is like half nine at night. Yeah, he's got out of bed, right? I haven't heard him at all. He's got out of bed and he's <laughs> come down the stairs, right? Come down the stairs, not heard him come down. Totally engrossed in the movie. Opened the living room door and he stood behind me. So anyway, um, he's like, what sort of car is that? And he's asking loads of questions. He's like, oh, right, well, it's a Hummer and that's Denzel and he's got a thing that can make him see back in time. And anyway, we, he sat and watched that car chase oh. with me for... <laughs> <laughs> for the duration and then I sent him back to bed uh, but yeah that was it. and he enjoyed it and I enjoyed it and yeah I, that scene was working so well for me that I didn't even hear him coming down the stairs or coming into the front room oh it's so great man and for a lot of people that will be the the jump the shark moment in the film yeah but no I was completely engrossed oh, by it I love it man Say, si, what about you? Oh, same car chase. I mean, I didn't have a a, a son come down and, and have a lovely father son moment. <laughs> uh, but uh, it no, it's just so good, and it's just a really good. I mean, I completely forgot about this whole sequence. And yeah, me too. I just thought it was a really good idea, executed really well, and there's a similar sort of time bending car chase in Tenet with uh, Washington Junior. Yeah, and I think this is better. To be honest, oh. it's just so well done how it's this two simultaneous, it's two car chases going on at the same time in the same space, but different. Yeah. And it's just, I just think it's done so well and it's so clever, as preposterous as it may be. I just love it. I thought it was really good. Oh, sound. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten about it too. So when it ar- arrived, I was thrilled with it. Um, I'm going to go back to a very small star power moment and it's when Denzel arrives at the police station after this has all happened very early in the film and he asks where the coffee pot is oh yeah I tell you what the way he rattles off that exposition it's brilliant isn't it it just is brilliant and it's just like he's a movie star this fella yeah he could read the phone book and you'd be completely gripped yeah yeah by him he's just he's just rattling off like a load of crime scene stuff and then he's just sort of lightly bantering all the um all the various um, head honchos while they decide whose jurisdiction it is and whose case it is, yeah. essentially. And uh, yeah, and then, yeah, you know, where's the coffee pot? Great. You're absolutely right. And then the guy tells him, he goes, huh, he is in charge. It's just <laughs> really well done. It's amazing, isn't it? I, I, just, I love that whole sequence. Um, it's charisma on tap, isn't it? It's just unreal. It really is. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, and, and it's just like, um, I really like a nice dialogue scene. Yeah. That's a really nice dialogue scene, um, essentially. So, James, you'll go last, as is per our custom, because it was your pick. Sigh. 
Um, deja vu for your reconsideration. Um, uh, I'm a bit on. The, no, I'm not. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. Honestly, I was so ill then for a second. Okay, yeah, one hundred percent. It's we've said it a couple of times that Tony Scott was hugely unappreciated when he was with us, and I think this film is the sort of epitome of that. It's a high concept mystery sci-fi thriller. That's just a non-stop electrifying ride of suspense or and just some frankly genius set pieces, I think. A lot smarter than people give them credit for, I I believe. Denzel is as charismatic as ever, giving hope to all of us carrying a bit of lockdown timber around the waist <laughs> <laughs> with his baggy shirts and massive slacks. <laughs> uh, he is 51, so I'll give him the benefit of But uh, yeah, Scott manages to weave a quite complicated premise into a hugely entertaining two hours. Uh, while there are grumbles about its apparent stupidity, Scott Tobias, um, which I, I completely disagree with. Um, I just think it's a great film. There's one point in my notes where I've just wrote, this film is very, very good. <laughs> um, it's just massively rewatchable as well. And, and a film like this where you get a lot out of it the second time round and the third time round because you're finding out the little Easter eggs and bits like that. It just, that's what justifies another another spin of this for sure. It's a great movie. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was amazing. Just couldn't agree more. Um, from the opening moments, this is consummately good filmmaking, regardless of whatever time, place, genre you want to put it in. Um, but it just so happens to be um, an exciting Tony Scott, Denzel Washington picture um, with an incredible um, central idea. It's so inventive. It's so fun. At times, it's mad nonsense. Um, but I don't care. I just don't care. I'm having that much of a good time with this. It's shot brilliantly. Production values are off the chain. Um, it's tremendously exciting. Denzel is off the off the planet in charisma mode here. Even making a sort of like a uh, <laughs> a time traveling stalker look acceptable. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's just superb. It's absolutely superb. I don't have anything to add. I was astonished when James said, one, that he wanted to do it, but two, that it qualified. Um, I was just amazed. So hmm. if you've never seen it, just don't waste your time listening to us. Just go and get it Yeah, immediately. Yeah, go and watch it. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have a lot to add to that, guys. I mean, it's just a good time at the movies, isn't it? Hmm. It's really, really well done. Brilliant sort of popcorn entertainment. I think what works in its favour as well is it is a little bit tricky. You've got to pay attention to it, but it doesn't get too bogged down in convoluted time travel lore. It keeps it quite simple. So mm. if you are paying attention, it's pretty easy to follow. It's quite linear in its, you know, in, in the way that it's presented. And yeah, it's just for me, it's elevated above sort of standard genre fare thanks to a committed and easy to root for performance from Denzel, slick set pieces and arresting visuals from the late Tony Scott. Really engrossing popcorn flick that is definitely worth a look if you haven't seen it before. And if you have seen it before, not seen it for a while, go and give it another look mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's aged very, very it well. It really has. I, I mean, yeah. you, you will look at this and it look it's clean as a whistle looking at this. It's astonishing. It looks beautiful. 
Um, that is as, as strong a recommendation you're going to get from this group of people, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you won't get as stronger. That's two for two for Tony and Denzel, isn't it? Because is. we, were, we were very keen on Man on Fire as well. This is probably a bit more rewatchable than Man on Fire because it's nowhere near as violent or as bleak. But... Yeah. <laughs> that was harrowing. There's no C4 in the chocolate store. In this <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, there definitely isn't. Uh, I'm sure there's a giveaway in there somewhere. <laughs> Everyone, pile in for C4 in the chocolate store. <laughs> That's not a good giveaway. Um, everyone, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, it's been superb. Next time we're going to be well, we're not going to be discussing anything of ours. We're going to be doing a listener request. Yes, based on sequels. Absolutely. So we have done some uh, first or second instalments in some franchises previously, and we haven't got round to looking at the films that followed on after those. So if you head over to Twitter and follow us at FYR Film Pod, you can get involved in the poll and help us pick what we're going to look at next. So the options are going to be uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, Blade 2, National Treasure, Book of Secrets. And I said maybe Predators. I don't think it strictly qualifies, but it's the follow-on from Predator 2. And I think it's been kind of forgotten, so we can probably squeeze that in there. What do you think? I think it's permissible. Um, Lads, if you you had to pick one of them, what would you want? (sighs) We've not seen Jolly Old Saint Nick for a while, have we? (laughs) Sorry. I don't know. Vanilla Rice. Do Go Ninja, Go Ninja Go. I mean, that'll be satisfying. <laughs> just, I mean, I can watch that in my spare time. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the I thing know. is, my dad took me to see that film, so I don't think I've seen it since I was a child. So I want to put myself in his position while watching that and what he must have been thinking <laughs> during that movie. I, I, so, yeah, anyway, we'll be throwing that up on the Twitter after this episode comes out. Uh, well, today if you're listening to the episode. <laughs> so, uh, um, so head over there and uh, get your votes in. Lovely stuff. Nice. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. James and Si, thank you, as always. What a brilliant... Thank you, Rob. Thank you. No, give over. <laughs> thank you. We'll take this outside. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, please chat to us, uh, FYR Film Pod um, on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for some... Um, Gorgeous pole action. I mean, you decide. Sequel yeah, action. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is you want. Let us know. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> See you next time. Stay safe. Thanks for everything. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> go, Ninja. Go, Ninja. Go. Go, Ninja. Oh, right. That's, that's, that's like, what is that? Like baiting the water. It's like ground bait. That's chumming the water. <laughs> going to need a bigger boat for all the votes you're going to get. For... Oh, <laughs> 43 of them. (laughs) Be a good number. number.